0: You can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The feed hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
1: In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more.
0: So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. From your truck, your trail camera and everything in between if you have a piece of hunting gear or a piece of hunting equipment that needs a battery interstate batteries has got you covered you can go to a local retail store or you can go visit online at interstatebatteries.com they have thousands of local retail shops all over the u.s so you can go there as well interstate batteries outrageously dependable
1: Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreau Boswell. All right, so in this episode, what I basically wanted to do is run over my final season prep as I pretty much leave tomorrow for the first hunt of the year out in North Dakota. So basically, I did one final last, you know, check on my bow and arrow, made sure all my lighted knocks were working, touched up my broadheads one last time, everything sharp, Everything is in the quiver. For the one mechanical I have in the quiver, I took out the little practice screw, uh, made sure I had a fresh band on there. Um, All my blades are nice and sharp. All my broadheads are spinning nice and true. So everything is now packed in the truck ready for departure tomorrow morning. So I guess given that this first hunt is not a state hunt, my gear list is gonna be a little bit different. And knowing that we're gonna be staying at a campground versus kind of packing in like I'll be doing for Colorado, That also affects this gear list that I'll be taking out to this first trip in ND. So let's go over that gear list first for what I'm going to take to North Dakota. And then also talk about the strategy that we're basically going to be trying to take once we get out there. So, you know, the obvious things, uh, bows and arrows releases. I have two releases that I'm bringing just in case I lose one of them. I thought about bringing a backup bow, but I decided probably not to just because we're going to be kind of low on space with uh, Shane and myself driving out there. We're not going to have a trailer or anything like that. It's just going to be my truck, uh, which just has a tonneau cover on it. So the lighter we can pack, the better, even though we are going to be kind of truck camping when we're out there. I have basically just one saddle, four climbing sticks with eighters. Uh, binoculars, milkweed, a uh, pop-up 28 for a pack. And with that pop-up 28, I'm carrying all my camera equipment as well as game bags, Havalon knife, uh, a bone saw, which I'll probably leave at the truck for just kind of, you know, cutting off the antlers if we do have success. And I could take that uh, skinning knife, go ahead and cape the cape the hide, and then uh, just use the, the saw basically to cut the antlers off the, the head. Then we can't take any, any full heads back into the state of Minnesota. Same thing with the spine. So the plan is just going to be to, at least for me, if we do shoot something, bone out all that meat, carry it back in a cooler, Uh bow hanging strap, headlamp, not bringing a thermos. Up. I'm just going to bring bug spray. Hopefully I won't need it too much. The weather is supposed to be, you know, around 70 or so for the highs and lows, upper forties, low fifties. So it should be pretty reasonable weather. It's not going to be unre- like uncomfortably hot, which is nice. It's not also going to be raining. So the weather should be really good. Uh, so I'm also not bringing rain gear because of that. I am just bringing a single grunt tube, uh, no scents, no lures, no rattling antlers, anything like that. Just a real small light grunt tube, um, water bladder to be able to carry some water. And instead of bringing a water filter, I'm probably just going to pick up a couple gallons of drinking water and then just kind of refill that water bladder as needed. And then of course my tags for clothing, I am bringing some light Merino base layers, socks. Uh, will bring my soft shell fleet bottoms and tops. And then, like I said earlier, no rain gear. I'm just going to wear basically hiking, uh, hunting boots. So low top light boots, uh, with some Kuyu gaiters. So the thought is I'm probably not going to be walking through too much water. There is some, you know, creeks that we could cross. It looks like there's enough land. And given the fact that the deer are probably going to be still relating to fields seemed likely enough that I wouldn't have to go through a significant amount of water. I think gaiters and those uh, low top boots are going to be fine. Uh, We have flip-flops for just kind of lounging around campsites as well as just general lounge clothes, you know, basketball shorts, t-shirts, things like that. For my electronics, I am bringing chargers for pretty much everything that I have. So all my camera equipment, my headlamp has a charger. I'm going to bring my laptop and an external hard drive to dump files on. I'll have my main camcorder, my Osmo pocket, uh, my, a couple just small little Gorillapods, an ozone machine and duffel bag with the thought that basically it's not going to be something I use out in the field. It might just be one of those things where we get back to camp and I just run everything in a bag for, you know, five minutes or something like that. And for additional stuff, just a Sony X 3000, which is another little action cam that I'll clip onto my tether uh, video light for any kind of after dark type videos we want to take and then a truck window mount that I'll be able to mount my camcorder on if we're doing any glassing from the road. So I mentioned that we're going to be camping and it's just a real, you know, basic campground we're going to be going to. So that really means we can bring as much stuff as we want with the exception that we have to be able to fit it all in the truck. So I am bringing a big cooler. I'm bringing my teepee that I'm also going to bring out to Colorado. So the intent of that is not necessarily to have something lightweight, but it's just going to be something that's very spacious. So in the odd case that it does rain, uh, I'll have a lot more room to kind of, you know, walk around and whatnot. I'll have a bug nest in that teepee also. And then even with that bug nest in one half of it, I'll still have enough room to set up a little table inside the other half of that teepee, Uh camping mat, quilt, pillow, potentially some firewood. I don't know if we're going to do campfires or anything like that. We might just, you know, chill around camp and, and do whatever after dark, um, for the handyman stuff that I also, I guess thought it would be a good idea to bring. I have basically any type of accessory that could be useful in working on a bow. So I have a portable bow press, a whole bunch of Allen wrenches, torque screwdrivers, and that all that stuff is left in my truck. I'm not carrying any of that stuff out into the field with the thought that if something does go wrong, I'll be able to work on it uh, back at the campground. Jumper cables, flat tire fixing stuff, things like that. So really nothing too extravagant. um, Nothing that's going to carry up a a lot of bulk just in terms of either truck space when we're driving out there, or I guess, you know, things that I'm carrying into the field, staying light and compact with that saddle setup. The only thing I'm going a little bit more bulk with is the sticks, uh, but I think I would much rather just climb with those sticks and just not have to worry about one of those more packable methods because I don't think I might need that quite as much where we're going just because it is a more open kind of area. Now I didn't talk much about food. The plan was to basically bring a small propane grill and cook up some venison and some wild salmon while we're out there. I tried the grill, um, today and it didn't work. So Shane is going to bring a grill of his own and we're going to buy some charcoal and that'll be kind of our one meal of the day. And apart from that, we're just going to be, you know, eating whatever, um, Whether it's gas station food or, you know, cliff bars or something along those lines. But pretty much we're just gonna have that one meal that's kind of a nice meal and then everything else is just kind of do whatever. So, in terms of hunting strategy when we're out there, uh, anybody that is kind of vaguely familiar with North Dakota knows that it's a pretty flat state for the most part. It's a lot of agriculture, a lot of kind of prairie type land. Um, There's some river bottoms, there's some hills in certain areas. There's some marshes in certain areas, Uh, but usually when people get an idea of hunting in North Dakota, they think, you know, glassing, you can see deer a long ways away and not necessarily quite as much uh, tree stand hunting, but that's not necessarily always the case. It just really depends on where you're at. And so the place that we're at, we really tried to find a place that was, you know, somewhat far away from the more major cities. There's not as many hunters in North Dakota, but that being said for the hunters that they do have, they're more likely to be closer to those major cities. So definitely we're expecting that we might see some other hunters in this, you know, vague area that we're going to, but there's enough little bits and pieces and tiny little chunks of public land. It's kind of scattered around the area that if we do see hunters in a certain spot, there's plenty of other spots to go look and we shouldn't have to worry about, um, finding areas that are away from hunters. It shouldn't be that big of a or that hard of a task. And so the season starts on Friday around noon. And basically since we're driving up a day early, we want to take that first day and just do as much glassing and as much scouting as we can. Preferably I would have taken additional trips out there already to do some glassing and scouting and get some of that done already, but uh, it's a long enough drive and I had, you know, enough stuff to keep me busy over the last month that that just really wasn't in the cards. So we're going to try and get as much of it done while we're out there as possible. Depending on what we see driving around and glassing, that'll kind of determine our next steps, whether or not it is straight to boots on the ground and hunting that first night or figuring out that we need to do additional driving around and glassing and scouting. You know, the temptation definitely is going to be to hunt right away, uh, regardless of what we see that first night and kind of the the long play, I guess, would be if we don't see what we're looking for that first night, it would be smarter to take a second day scouting some new areas. Whether or not that, you know, we actually end up doing that or not, I guess we'll wait to see. But the thought is that hopefully we'll be able to see enough in various spots throughout that first night of scouting that we'll each have kind of a game plan for that next day. Now that opening morning, you can't hunt. The season technically, technically opens at noon. So we'll basically have You know, that opening day afternoon, and then, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, drive home Tuesday. So we have, you know, four good evening hunts and a couple of morning hunts potentially spread out through there that, you know, we should be able to, I would hope, find enough sign, be able to get on, you know, some sort of deer activity. And potentially one of us might get a a shot at something. And Shane's also bringing up one of his other buddies too. Uh, So we'll have three people total, uh, but only one vehicle actually, I guess I'll take that back to vehicles. So that'll help us a little bit too. In the fact that when we do some of that driving around and scouting, we'll have uh, basically eyes in two sets of locations at once. So we'll be able to see twice as many uh, potential opportunities as we would have otherwise, which is definitely a huge plus. So that once we reconvene back at camp again, we'll be able to kind of explain what we saw and then kind of, again, game plan from there. So then The other thing that I want to take the opportunity to do this trip is the long, the longer scale, I guess, year after year plan of, of what I could potentially do hunting wise in this area. And for multiple years, I've been talking about doing a rut hunt out in North Dakota and the place that we're going to, I initially picked it because I thought it would be good for, you know, kind of a rut type of, of hunting strategy. I like the terrain for various terrain funnels and things like that. And so on some of those mid days where we're not, you know, maybe out in the tree, maybe we're just doing boots on the ground scouting. I want to try and take that opportunity to, you know, basically as much as possible, try and get some additional data and take some additional waypoints, find other guys' stands, find good, you know, funnels and things like that, and take that opportunity for us being out there to really mark some of those locations down for future trips, whether or not we don't punch a tag this trip and want to go back during the rut Um, probably wouldn't take priority over some of the other states like Wisconsin or Minnesota or maybe Missouri but in future years that could definitely be in the cards so I want to be able to take that opportunity to get some of that data now if I can the other thing I may do is drop some trail cameras just to again not necessarily get locked but more so leave those things soak and then pick them up maybe if we go or potentially later this fall and just go pick up those cameras and see if some of those rut funnels did have good movement and you know, what kind of caliber deer were running through some of those areas throughout the fall. So that's kind of the game plan uh, for when we're out there. It's definitely going to be more focused, at least from my perspective on evening sits that will be based on glassing. So definitely we have in the back of our minds that these deer could be bedding in potentially a lot of different places, you know, with a lot of this farm country, and river bottom type stuff and you know, some drainages and draws and things like that. It's like, okay, deer could be betting on oxbows and some of those river bottoms. They could be bedding in those draws leading up into fields. They could be bedded on fence rows, looking out across those fields. They could be bedded out in CRP or like canola, for example, uh, or sunflowers. I've heard them bedding in out there. They could be on some of those little ridge tops on some of those higher ridges. Uh, and kind of your typical, you know, more hill country style bedding. And there's those little, you know, grassy areas where it's more marshy. Maybe there's a little duck puddle or something They could be bedding in those things too. So the, the thought is deer could be very, very spread out in terms of their bedding while we're out there in this early season hunt. And later in the year, they're going to be, you know, maybe bunched a little bit, uh, into tighter areas, just because some more of those crops might be down but that's why we're going to focus so much, I think on glassing initially, at least to start. And then if we do see deer glassing, you know, then it's okay. Step one, we see the deer, where do they come from? Okay. From that, where do we think they were bedding? And maybe we see exactly where they're bedding. Maybe we see the direction they were headed from out of their beds. And then we can kind of, you know, backtrack that looking at the maps and try and make some educated guesses and then look at the wind and see if all that makes sense. And so, if we're getting the same wind direction two days in a row, then it's kind of like, okay, good chance. Maybe they'll do that same thing tomorrow and then figure out a way to set up. If the deer of course have the wind in their favor, it's going to make some of those setups, you know, potentially kind of tricky. So we, I want, at least from my perspective, I want to be able to, um, have as many different hunting styles that I'm open to as possible. Right? So I might, I might try and get in there close with essentially hanging that saddle and sticks, uh, up in an area, maybe try and get high enough in the air where, uh, maybe the scent isn't quite going to be a problem. Maybe I try and do a hunt where I'm on the ground and I maybe hold off for a little bit and wait for evening thermals to start dropping into, uh, basically a little drainage or something, and then try and move in quick and hope that the deer aren't already on their way out. And, you know, some of that, again, is going to depend on what time we see there's a deer moving. If the deer are moving early, in the afternoon, and especially some of the nicer deer, then that could be a different gameplay for the next day than if we see those deer pop out of the woodwork, you know, right at last light. So it's definitely going to be one of those situations where, you know, we're really just going to have to play it by ear and just trust our scouting as much as possible. So that's ultimately the game plan for North Dakota. And hopefully at least, you know, one of us gets a shot at something and that's going to be, you know probably the next podcast is kind of recapping how this plan all worked out. Um, did one of us shoot something and what would we have done differently next time? And then the next hunt after North Dakota for me is going to be Colorado. And I almost feel like because I've done so much prep work for this initial North Dakota hunt that I'm kind of behind the ball a little bit in preparation for that Colorado one. Um, probably not in quite as good of physical shape as I was the last couple of times we went out there. But I think I'm still, you know, going to be able to do all right. Um, bow shooting, I think I'm I'm pretty confident in right now. I'm pretty comfortable with how my bow shooting, how my arrows are set up, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's really going to come down to how are we going to strategize for that Colorado hunt. And we're kind of changing around the game plan a little bit. Whereas in the past, we've always historically taken our group and you know hike into hopefully the Goldilocks type zone where you're a little bit further out than most guys are gonna day hunt and not quite so deep in that you're running into guys that are you know horse camped into the the further back drainages and then set up that day camp and just kind of pound a particular drainage or a particular area that we that we see sign we see elk and just keep hunting it until somebody gets a shot and usually somebody gets a shot at something uh, but but definitely by the time that week is over, those elk have, you know, kind of gotten pushed out of whatever area we were hunting just because we have, you know, three or four guys walking around there and and getting sent over the area. So what we may do this year, because this year we're just going to have two guys. So it's just me and one other guy, and that's going to allow us to be a little bit more mobile. And the guy that I'm hunting with is also kind of, you know, on that same page that Hey, whatever we did in the past, maybe we could do better. Maybe we need to be more mobile. Maybe we need to adopt some of these other strategies that are more run and gun than what we have been doing. And we're basically going to probably plan on two days max at any given spot. So instead of spending five days in one spot and hunting it out, it's one day. If we see what we like, we'll stay a second day. Uh, We'll have kind of a pre-planned route in terms of what we want to run that first day. So it might be, you know, hike in the night before, spend the night in, you know, maybe a mile and a half up spike camp or something like that. Then hit it first thing the next day, uh, set up in areas where we might see some early movement uh, from kind of the bed to feed. And then once that's over, we make our big loop through kind of the bedding uh, looking cover and just do run and gun, blind calling, uh, try and get something located and then play from there. And if we just don't see that much fresh sign, then we're backing out of there. Uh, Maybe spend the night down with the truck and go to, you know, basically plan B spot the next day. And some of these spots are big enough that from that same initial spike camp, we'll be able to make two big loops, you know, from that same camp, go out one loop one day, go out another loop the second day. And if we really liked what we saw and we feel like we could get it done in that spot, then just hop back down to the vehicle, you know, regroup with supplies and then head back up there. Otherwise, head back down to that vehicle and just drive to the next uh, drainage location. So that's ultimately the plan. And, you know, I think I have confidence in it. I've, I've talked with a few people about whether or not this strategy makes sense and it seems to be more similar to the strategy that you'll, you'll find in guys that hunt in a whole bunch of different locations and have success in a lot of different locations versus the strategy that we've kind of taken, where if we hunt the same spot over and over and over again, eventually we're going to have it learned and figured out enough that we're going to be able to have success there. And from whitetail hunting, that is kind of something that typically seems to work. If you keep hunting a particular area and learn it better and better year after year, eventually you start to figure it out. And obviously going on these Western trips, when you only have one week, it takes a little bit longer to figure out an area like that. But what we see is, you know, following various people is that some of these guys can just go in and get it done wherever the first time that they're in this particular area and they might go through a place one day. And if they don't like what they see, they're going to a different place somewhere else. And they have the confidence that if they see the sign and if they can locate elk, then they can call them in and be able to, to get the job done. So that's kind of the strategy that we're taking this time. We've both been practicing our calling a lot more, uh, historically, I've been kind of usually the only one in the group that uh, would be able to, you know, kind of muster a bugle. And everybody else was kind of using the, the more basic, like hoochie mama type calls and stuff. Uh, But this time around, you know, me and my partner especially has really been hitting it hard um, on elk languages and tubes, practicing the the diaphragm calls, the various cow sounds, the bugling. Uh, And so I really do have, you know, a decent amount of confidence going into that hunt. And then by the time I get back from that hunt, it's really going to be time to start hunting in Minnesota and Wisconsin again. And so with, with Sam starting to hunt for the first time this year, basically morning hunts are going to be reserved for her. We're going to probably hunt areas that historically, I know there's a lot of deer movement, you know, younger deer does good chance of seeing something. Um, not necessarily some of the spots where you might have a better chance at a bigger, older deer, but you have a good chance of seeing nothing. We're gonna try and get to some of those areas that could have good morning movement and try and get some good opportunities there. And in the evenings we'll probably both be going out uh, when we can, or I'll be going out solo and going into some of those deeper spots uh, where it's potentially better odds at maybe an older deer, and maybe we're going to strike out 80% of the time and then maybe have those good encounters every now and then. And so that's kind of the plan. I'll be most likely hunting with a traditional bow in both Minnesota and Wisconsin this year. Whereas with all my out-of-state hunts, they are going to be for the most part compound, just because there's, you know, just so much less time to be able to fill that tag in. Whereas in my, you know, more local states, I have the entire season, really. Uh, and I can do, do day hunts either after work or on weekends, at least until the days start getting too short to be able to do the, the weekday hunts for the traditional, both side of things. Again, I'm, I'm fairly confident in the system and the setup that I have right now, uh, I have been shooting quite a bit over the summer. Uh, A lot of my videos that I've been posting have been compound related, but I've been doing at least as much, if not more shooting with my traditional bows and really tweaking the setups and figuring out things that are formulated. Like for instance, I struggled a lot with a a bout of hitting right uh, with my traditional bow and I would, I would shoot and group really well at like say 20 yards, for example, and that group would be hitting like six inches to the right of where I wanted it to hit. And I'm an aimer when I shoot with a traditional bow. So I basically use the tip of the arrow as a guide. Uh, so you're supposed to be able to look down the arrow, use that tip of the arrow to be able to help aim. And then I execute a shot. It should go where you're hitting, assuming your bow is tuned and your eyes over the arrow. Well, the first thing I had to check was, is my bow tuned? So to do that, you just shoot a bear shaft. If the bear shaft is also going to the right, well, then that indicates that you're tune is off, you need to make some adjustments to bring that back in line. And hopefully that solves your issue with the fletch shafts too. Uh, But that wasn't the issue for me. When I would shoot my bear shafts, they would fly, you know, pretty perfect right down the pipe. And so that indicated to me that either it was something with my release that wasn't quite right, or I wasn't getting my eye over the arrow. So I played around with minor tweaks to my anchor, draw, you know, holding position, a whole bunch of different things. And eventually figured out that I needed to get my elbow, my draw elbow, a little bit further back in line uh, with my, basically my draw force line with the arrow. And then the additional thing that I had to do was really pay attention to my grip. Um, The bow that I've been shooting has one of those kind of ergonomic carved grips, not like a, a minimalist compound grip. And subconsciously I was applying more torque on that grip. And so when I figured out the grip thing and really just you know, even a higher wrist grip of that bow as opposed to a lower wrist, which I would more typically do, or kind of a you know, balanced grip that higher profile wrist grip, and then just kind of letting the bow cant as it's going to cant, and then just making sure that elbow is perfectly in line that really resolved all those issues. So, that was kind of a long way of saying that I'm pretty confident, at least for the time being, uh, with the way I've been shooting with that traditional bow, and that'll be the plan for. You know, hunting some of these marshes close to the home, um, and we go out with Sam. We're probably going to be hunting more hill country type stuff, where we have a lot of white oak, white oak trees, and should be able to hunt feed trees that aren't maybe right on top of bedding, so to speak. But historically, have had good movement, you know, well into early morning and even early afternoon. So that's the plan. Uh, short and sweet podcast. I am heading out tomorrow morning, so by the time this thing launches maybe i might even have some videos that are going to be posted so hopefully you guys will be able to see and we'll be able to kind of tie this thing back to if the strategy worked and if we're going to have success as always make sure to follow the sports nation on facebook instagram and youtube leave us a review on itunes and if you're looking for additional content subscribe to the diy sportsman on youtube if you're looking at getting a new bow make sure to give new breed a look they are direct to consumer manufacturer that allows you to customize your bow online and have it chip to your door. Use the code DIY sportsman for $50 off. And also I just did a video that I posted today about the fobs. Uh, so go and check that thing out. I had basically a big list of pros and cons from a whitetail hunting perspective. And I do have a discount code for those two, which is DIY 10, 10% off. So with that, thanks for listening.